HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to The Line. I'm your host, Eli Sussman, co-owner of Samisa Restaurant in Williamsburg. Thanks for joining us today. Tucked into a stug, snug storefront on a side street in Williamsburg, Yuji Haraguchi opened Yuji Ramen and Okonomi, two concepts that occupy the same space and function in tandem while also functioning separately. He focuses there on both mazamen, a brothless style of ramen, and then more traditional broth-based ramen with seafood toppings and flavors, and doesn't focus as much on pork-style ramen, which is what you find at many other ramen shops around New York and around the world. The beautiful plates are served carefully, quietly, and effortlessly by the very small staff. It's only minutes from the Williamsburg Bridge and the bustle of extremely busy Brooklyn streets, but it's a space that feels like it would fit somewhere you might stumble upon in maybe Kyoto, where actually now he has a location called Lorimer Kyoto. Since starting as a pop-up many years ago at markets, bars, and with a stall inside Whole Foods, he is now firmly situated in Williamsburg with Yuji Ramen Okonomi, and then a few blocks over, he has Okozushi and Osakana, with a brand new location of Osakana opened in Manhattan. Now with multiple locations spanning Brooklyn, Tokyo, and Kyoto, he went from a very small pop-up operator to operating and running a very large ramen almost an empire mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, Yuji, thanks so much for being here. Thank and, you, Eli, for having me. And I want to start by asking if you can just talk about Mazamen, what compelled you to serve it? And for those that have never tasted it, how does it differ from traditional ramen? So Mazamen is uh, more simply, uh, as you described, a broth ramen, so where traditional ramen, you have a hot broth and noodles, and you have to slurp it. But uh, Mazamen, uh, I thought about bringing it to New York because uh, I thought that would make it 
uh, make ramen more accessible for a lot of people as there is no broth. It may be uh, easier to try because you can even try ramen with a fork instead of chopsticks. And when you get a, a bowl of mazumen, it actually, what, you, what I thought of the first time I had it was, oh, this is pasta, right? Mm, yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and so you actually do uh, a mazumen. I don't know if it's on the menu now, but I've, I've had it before and it, um, is like a carbonara. Yeah, it yeah. has uh, an egg and mm. it has bacon. Um, it has it definitely had bonito flakes on it and, mm. and some Japanese uh, seed, seed uh, toppings, but um, it felt very much like pasta. Is that a traditional dish that's served in Japan or is that your interpretation of that's matzo That's my interpretation, 100%. Yeah, I was never a trained cook. Mm. I loved cooking as a hobby and then the pasta was... The, my favorite things to cook uh, as a hobby too. And then the ramen was not my favorite thing to eat either. But when I discovered the, this Mazumen uh, concept, I thought that I could uh, bring my favorite pasta into the shape of ramen. That's why I thought about studying Mazumen ramen shape. Where were you born and... Did anyone in your family have any connection to the food industry at all whatsoever? No, zero. <laughs> <laughs> they are very traditional, uh, what we call salary men. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, you just, you know, uh, go work for large companies and you get paid a salary basis. You don't have to worry about much. Yeah, nice benefits, that kind of thing. Uh, none of my family members has their own business. They just thought that normal life was the best life. <laughs> and so where do they live now and where did you grow up? Uh, I live. In, uh, they all live in Japan and I, I, gr- I was born and I grew up in uh, the prefecture called Tochigi Prefecture, which is about two hours north of, north of Tokyo. And you ended up getting a job that originally it brought you to Boston, right? Working yeah. for uh, a fish, a, a national fish distributor that worked closely with Japan? Yeah, so... I went to college in Oregon and I got a job in Japan first and I really didn't like it. It was a very boring desk job and then I became passionate about cooking. And at the same time, I wanted to come back to the U.S. So there was an opportunity in Boston uh, related related to food. I wanted to get anything that's related to food because I wanted to get into the industry. So it just ended up being a Japanese uh, seafood company that imports uh, quality seafood from a Tsukiji fish market. And I thought that job was very interesting and a very good beginning to start my food career. What is it like when you are a fish importer and you mentioned the famous market in Japan uh, that has just sprawling amounts of seafood that come in and it is a a world destination not only for uh, restaurants and also fish distributors, but also it's a major tourist destination where people come and and see the process. Without any background in that, how did you get trained in in the process of selling and distributing fish? So I had zero experience when I started working, even for a fish company, even though I loved cooking, so but I had zero knowledge or whatsoever. So I had to uh, pretty much teach myself by looking at the fish, talking to customers, breaking down the fish by myself. Uh, so if you repeat that process every day for five, six years, 
you'll be good at. <laughs> And what was that? What did that job really consist of? You were based in Boston. Did you f- travel back and forth to Japan to look at quality, or did you just receive fish, or did you have、uh, restaurant accounts? How did it work、mm. exactly? So I had a restaurant account as a customers, and then I received orders from those customers, and then sent it to the uh, Japanese uh, like sister company who export fish from Japan to us, and then so. I had no idea what I was getting because I just get a,、uh, orders from Japanese customers saying I want this fish from Tsukiji, and then I haven't even seen it. So, but I had to send an order to Japan, and then every Tuesday and Friday became a very exciting day because I can always、uh, I can always see、uh, new seafood from Tsukiji, and then uh, uh, that was very very exciting.、Uh, so I wanted to push new products to Japan. Uh, our customers, so I can import from Tsukiji. That's how I learned, and also、uh, my colleague, yeah, from Tsukiji, was very kind to always teach me how things are done in Tsukiji. And I was not able to travel to Japan、uh, at all、uh, for my work, maybe once a year just to see my family. But、uh, utilizing that vacation, I went to tsuk- visit Tsukiji and meet that colleague, and then he showed me around in the Tsukiji fish market for him in the morning and trying to learn as much as I could. With the、uh, uh, limited time, that was around two thousand eight, two thousand nine. That you were, yeah, yeah, that yeah. you started that. Have you seen since then a transition in any products used in the United States that were not common whatsoever? Then that either your company or other companies have now made popular. Like,、mm. is there? I mean, I assume that tuna was probably the largest item that was being brought yeah, over, yeah, right? Yeah, But yeah. at that time in the United States, were Were restaurants besides sushi restaurants、mm. using? Were they using hamachi? Were they using、mm. all these fish that are now kind of commonplace on elevated menus? Yeah, good question. So,、uh, when I started this job in Boston, I realized that all of our customers are Japanese restaurants. I thought that was very boring. So,、uh, I wanted to introduce、uh, sashimi quality fish to、uh, like American restaurants and French restaurants. So I started visiting those fine dining restaurants uh, uh, by looking at their menu online before, and then just wanted to see if they have a tuna crudo or tuna tartar on the menu.、And、then I went to visit and introduced our tuna, and saying this is a sushi grade tuna、uh, from our own、uh, selection. And also after that relationship is being built, I started introducing hamachi. But that time. In Boston, hamachi was not so common at all in non-Japanese restaurants, but、uh, people were very excited that I wanted to introduce them something new. And those chefs are very passionate about using new products from Japan. So starting from tuna, hamachi, and maybe kampachi,、uh, those two、uh, fishes are very、uh, common fish right now. Yeah, there's、um, there's definitely kind of. As things have transitioned in the United States and people have become a lot more comfortable with with different types、mm-hmm. of seafood, you see more and more、uh, crudos on menus. It it definitely was not common to eat a lot of raw fish in a non sushi restaurant.、Uh, can you explain a little bit between sashimi grade, sushi grade? Are there differences at all? And for a consumer who's either Going to a fish market or going to your fish market,、mm. what exactly should they be looking for
um, when they're at, at home trying to use that style of fish that's not going to be cooked. Mm. So, uh, sushi quality, sashimi quality is less about how fresh it is, to be honest. It's, almost, it's more about how you handled it. Yeah, if fish is、uh, fresh enough, I mean, you can eat any raw, any、uh, fish sashimi. It's a matter, of,、uh, matter of sanitation, I think. So, if you, I was always bringing this example, like you catch really beautiful stray bass in Montauk, and then you cut the fish on the very dirty cutting board. The fish was sushi quality freshness, but you turned that into cooking quality because the cutting board was dirty. So, pretty much how you handle it has a lot to do with、uh, sushi and sashimi quality.、Mm. When you were working for this company in Boston、uh, and you're starting to learn technique, you're starting to learn butchering fish, and you are seeing all these restaurants inviting them to try new things using new product, did something click on for you and you said, I want to be in the restaurant business? How exactly did you transition from being a distributor into being on the other、mm. side of things? Yeah, so、uh, first, Three years of being the fish distributor, I was so excited and then I was very into that job. So I almost forgot about the, my reason of getting into the industry, which was to open up a restaurant. But slowly, like, I, I, I recognized my knowledge and experiences and skill sets are increased,、uh, increasing, and then、uh, started. Uh, thinking that if I have this idea to introduce to customers and I think it's gonna work, why don't I, don't I try it myself? <laughs> so, started slowly every day. I started thinking, you know, like I have to, and I have these new ideas that with a product, and then、uh, I was very happy to see when that happens in customers' restaurants. but Slowly, I just wanted to try、uh, for myself too. That's when I th-、uh, thought about starting a pop up as a side business while working for a fish company as a full time. Where did you do the first pop up and how did you promote it? So, the first pop up was inside a kitchen <laughs> of the fish distributor. So,、uh, I started making ramen and I started、uh, making. Like any kinds of ramen that I thought that I could make, it was very difficult and it was not good. <laughs> But uh, slowly, uh, inviting friends to a friend's house and then bring noodles and bring ingredients, I started to, with, from a、uh, work, friend's place, and then、uh, bars, and then the galleries, and then、uh, markets. So slowly, I kind of like step up the new. Location. So、yeah. the first one was in Boston. The first one was actually in New York. Was, it was in New yeah, York. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. And when you were, are talking about the first、uh, tries, are, were they bone based? Were they, they, were they fish based broths? Yeah. Or were yeah. They, they were always fish from the beginning? Yeah. So、uh, especially like we sold a lot of tuna, and I just realized so much tuna bones are being discarded. So, but at that time, I was not into ramen at all. But It was about 2010 when the ramen was becoming very popular in New York City. 
like such as Ipudo, uh, first ramen shop, and then the ramen became a thing. And then I started to thinking, you know, sushi has become a very big trend in the US, and then I cannot see myself being uh, influenced, positive influence to the type of cuisine. And then started seeing ramen at the same time, and I thought that everybody was doing the same tonkotsu ramen. And I thought maybe I can do different kinds of ramen. And I started looking for different options. And then,、uh, and then just saw the tuna bones and thought that maybe I could make some nice、uh, broth out of it. Although I had no idea how to make ramen broth. So I started making, let's just try and error,、uh, trying to make tuna based ramen broth with just the bones that I saw in the trash. <laughs> did it feel, what did it feel like when you were seeing the ramen craze kind of exploding and you thought, Wow, all these people are experiencing something for the first time that I'm very familiar with. I've、mm-hmm. been eating it my entire life and, and I know all about it. And then you see people that are just going crazy, waiting in line for、mm. two, three hours for, for a bowl of ramen in New York City. Did it feel, did it feel strange? Did it feel validating? Like, what, it, what was it? Oh, I thought that was amazing. Yeah, because、uh, I think that ramen in New York, especially, has become a very different. Type of cuisine compared to ramen shops、uh, in Japan, where、uh, in Japan ramen shops are more very casual and very fast, fa- fast food and then、uh, very quick. You know, it's I don't know what, I mean, like, almost like a pizzeria that does a quick takeout and dining. You know, so it's like a slice joint. Yeah, like yeah pretty everyone much,、no. on every corner. There、yeah. is a ramen shop. There are ramen sh- more ramen shops than any other type of restaurant in Japan, actually. It's a very、uh, competitive market. And then,、um, uh, but in the New York, ramen scene has changed completely. And I thought that was a great opportunity for me to get into because there's so much,、uh, well, pretty much freedom, like、uh, not so much,、uh, like, a, Uh, st- like a stereotype. It's like people don't have a st-、uh, like specific perspective on what the ramen should be here. That's why being knowing myself as a chef, a self taught chef, and then trying to、uh, bring new ideas, I thought that that was a really great ch- chance for me to start. What was the reception like the first? Pop ups that you did when you were doing、uh, a fish bone based ramen, and were you also doing mazaman at that time? Yeah, yeah. yeah.、And、so, I was what did people、both. think about、mm. that? Were they confused? Were they did, they, did anyone ever like send a bowl back and say, like, you forgot to put the broth <laughs> in the bowl? Yeah, that happened a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, I was very excited to realize that I could become the first one to introduce that concept. It's very difficult to find something new, especially in New York. But I was able to see that could be、uh, something completely new, and I can be the first one to introduce it. So I was more excited about the fact that I was going to be the first one to introduce the new style of anything. <laughs> so many pop ups start in New York as sort of a singular idea, and sometimes they can slide into either being deeply nostalgic or. Almost like a parody. Like you have to do a mashup so that、mm. it's even now more so, it's like it has to be like Instagram ready, you、mm. know? Like that's the pop up mentality.、Um, did you feel any pressure when you were starting your pop up to like really push it in an extreme direction? Or did you just say, I'm going to do my thing 
And if people like it, they like it. And if mm. not, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that was it, actually. Yeah, I didn't really think about anything. Yeah, because I had zero experience at the restaurant. I had no idea how to read a restaurant ticket. <laughs> I had no experience or whatsoever. Um, I think that's why I was able to focus on what I wanted to do. Because if you have a lot of experiences, I feel like you're... Uh, more toward following the norm, I guess. Like, you know, this is what it should be. This is what how it should look like. But uh, I had no ideas about what it should be like. <laughs> That's so, cool. You could approach it completely from the outside yeah. without having anything just impact a, with, Just with a passion. And then I just knew there is a fish bones, there's a uni, and there's a bacon and a poached egg. I know it's going to work out. And then I just tried it. And then still, the bacon egg matzman, spicy tuna matzman, and the tuna base ramen, tuna kotsu ramen that I started are still popular ramen dishes at my restaurants, you know, for past seven years. <laughs> yeah. Did you end up spending any time working anywhere in a traditional restaurant environment to kind of learn or lean on any of those things? Or did you just, did you leave your job and just start doing the pop-up full-time? Yeah. I was doing second, uh, I was doing a pop-up as a second job, uh, side job you know, uh, while I was working for a fish company full-time. And then uh, pop-up was not becoming too busy, so it was easy for me to handle. But uh, uh, March 2012, the timeout New York reached out to me, and then he, they wanted to do a photo shoot. And I had no idea how much impact it had or anything. So I was like, okay, sure. And then I just did a first photo shoot with the press in my life. And then it became... Uh, like big new this week thing. And then so many people came after that press came out. And I thought that I have to leave the job to keep my things alive. <laughs> then where, I left. <laughs> where was that pop-up that they were highlighting? Like at what uh, point? At the, the, was uh, that at Whole Foods or was the, it before it was at that? The King Fork. King okay. Fork yeah, uh, in winter. That's my first official pop-up. So Kinfolk in, in Williamsburg. Yeah. 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 Um, and so the power of that press kind of, Push me out. Propelled you to yeah. <laughs> like I gotta leave. Like I, there's a, I created a huge wave that I can't even, like, ride on. You know, it's like <laughs> so I had to leave. You know, so we're gonna like push the customer. Customer pushed me. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about how you started to really formalize Yuji Ramen, find a space, and uh, and expand out from there. Stick with us here on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history, and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, 
and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MoFAD's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org slash events. Do you love this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. We have over 35,000 shows in our online library. My name is Jennifer Leutzi, and I'm the host of Tech Bytes, where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. You can find Tech Bytes wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to The Line here on Heritage Radio. My guest today is Yuji Haraguchi. He's the owner of several ramen shops and also fish markets around New York and also in Japan. He has Yuji Ramen, Okonomi, Okozushi, Osakana, and uh, a brand new location of Osakana that just opened in Manhattan. Before the break, we were talking about how he left his job uh, being a fish distributor to focus on making ramen full time. And you mentioned during the break that actually where we are right now, Roberta's, well, we're in the backyard of Roberta's, they were one of your clients and you actually did, uh, you, you sold fish to them. And while you were still kind of conceptualizing your ramen pop-up ideas, you actually came here once a week and served ramen, yeah, right? Yeah, a staff meal. It's like midnight ramen. Everybody loved it. <laughs> Which is really cool because you were basically getting market research yeah. from dozens of cooks mm. who were would stay at one of the most popular restaurants, but also go on and do a lot of interesting things. So like could kind of spread the gospel of UG ramen. So once you really felt confident in your pop-ups, the timeout thing blows up UG ramen. How do you go about finding space and how did you settle on the space right off of Lorimer Street in Williamsburg? So uh, after the uh, bar pop-up, I started uh, working uh, actually at Roberta's as a uh, prep cook just to learn how restaurant works because I never worked. So I thought that I needed to learn somewhere. And then at the same time, I continued my ramen pop-up on at, on the weekends in uh, Brooklyn, Smogersburg. But uh, I was able to use their kitchen to produce my prep. And I did it for about a half year. But uh, I, I started noticing that I cannot rely on my friends anymore after a certain point. So I, I thought I was going to make a living as a ramen pop-up chef. So I just needed uh, just kitchen just to produce... Uh, products for the pop for the markets pretty much i never envisioned uh like having a full service uh restaurant at that time so and then my friend uh told uh, my friend at that time that was working for me as a part-time just to help out the market she was doing a bakery uh pop-up at a, a rest uh, at the cafe space in williamsburg so i hadn't reached out to her in a while so I just reached out to her what are you doing oh, I have a little coffee shop and in the bakeries in uh, Rimasburg please come and check it out so I went into her pop-up uh, the bakery shop that was the Okonomi and then I wanted it looked nothing like uh, what it looks like now uh, but it was very very nice I really felt really good energy and then I kept 
going back to her space because I really love the space, how small, how the building itself. And then I had no idea because I drove. I had no idea how close it was to the Lorimer stop. I didn't even look where the train station was. I just loved the building. And then she was like, I'm going to be done with this pop-up. And then this place is going to be for rent next month. I was like, I have to come. And then just let me know when the uh, like uh, open house is. And then I show up on a very snowy day. There were 50 or 100 people lined up to <laughs> sign up for that uh, three commercial slots in the same building. And then I just saw a lot of familiar names, but I put my name down. And then the landlord reached out to me, luckily. Yeah, just knowing that I had a ramen pop-up shop. So they just thought that the concept was something that they thought would work in that little tiny space. It's such a tiny space. And interestingly, the facade doesn't really look like anything else in Williamsburg. Not a lot it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't actually make sense in context of the other buildings that are on the street and around it. Uh, so it does kind of feel fortuitous that you that you found the spot that way and that it does represent, at least from the exterior, kind of a small ramen shop that mm. you'd stumble upon. How did you reconfigure the interior to make sense for you? And how did you fundraise in order to get that project uh, to a spot where it could actually be a, a restaurant? Mm, good question. So... At that, when I found a spot, I already had an offer from Whole Foods Market to do a pop-up. Uh, but I, it was going to be a temporary, like a month or two months pop-up at Whole Foods. So I was going to sign on the lease regardless, knowing that I had no money. But I just thought that I could just do it. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so it was very interesting because in order to do a one-month, two-month pop-up at Whole Foods, I needed $3,000 just to buy pots and pans and everything. And then my friend suggested that I should do a Kickstarter. And then I just thought that was an amazing way to uh, raise capital. I had, had nothing, I, I didn't know anything about uh, crowdfunding that time, but my friend was very kind to tell me that a new idea. And then I was like, how do you make this video? And then he was like, we can make with this iPhone. And we made an entire video with the iPhone. And then we launched a campaign. And then it was very lucky that the day after we launched the Kickstarter, the New York Times uh, reached out to me. And then she wrote about my Kickstarter campaign. And then after that, we reached a goal in three days. And then it was only $3,000, but it was big money, you know. And then we reached 400% or something. So much more than I expected. And then I used that extra money <laughs> to sign the lease. And then uh, I spent about a year and a half at Hofers making ramen and then save up money and, and then rebuild Okonomi into what it looks like right now. So I actually waited almost a year and a half after I signed the lease because of so many new things <laughs> happened that I didn't foresee that time. Yeah. What's interesting about Okonomi in reference to visually it looks like a place that you would go and get like a omakase sushi mm. like it's uh it's very simple it's very modern and elegant but your price point is actually a lot lower than an omakase mm. uh and 
you don't serve a lot of alcohol, you do not have a lot of seats. So it seems like you have like a secret sauce here. <laughs> and so as a business owner and other people listening that are uh, you know, intrigued about opening up a business in New York, how exactly did you make it work at the beginning selling bowls of ramen um, and and being and being successful? Like what did it take in order for that to work in that space? I think uh, that's a really important question for any business, I think. I think you have to have customers before you open a restaurant. Otherwise, no one will come and find you. So hopefully the pop-up was a really good idea to do because I was able to build customers before committing to my own storefront. So the key success, I still you know, try to uh, remind myself every time I do a new project, you need customers before project <laughs> starts. So that's a, uh, the being pop-up for doing a pop-up for two years before opening Okonomi did it help to make that little space to be sustainable until now. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that doing, so o- Okonomi Yuji Ramen, it kind of, uh, it functions as one thing during the day. Well, it did function as one thing during the day and then different at night. Yep. Was that helpful or was that a hindrance? Was it confusing for customers or, or was it just, based on the orientation of the kitchen, you had to do it that way. Yeah, uh, so my whole idea of uh, a business model is what else can you do with one fish? So ramen is a bone uh, made from bones, and then what are you going to do with the meat? So I wanted to cook it, and then in what? (laughs) And then I thought of a a Japanese breakfast where we serve a roasted piece of uh, seafood. I thought uh, the combining those two concepts look very different and very confusing for some people. But to me, it is meat meat in the morning and then the rest in the evening. So um, you can try one fish in two different ways, in two different meals. To me, it's very natural and it's very uh, sustainable. How long after the spot was open on Lorimer, did you embark on the other business ventures that you have in Williamsburg, which are, I would love for you to describe them, but you have two different places uh, that are just down the road a little bit. Mm. Uh, Why did you decide to open those? And then how do those um, benefit the uh, Yuji Ramen and Okonomi? And how do they operate as standalone businesses? Mm -hmm. So as Okonomi got busier, I just realized that uh, limit on the space. And then at the same time, customers started asking where to buy fish that they were eating. And then I thought about combining my fish commissary kitchen almost, uh, and also the space where people can buy fish so that commissary kitchen cannot just, uh, commissary kitchen functions more uh, multi-purposely instead of just one purpose, which is to support my other restaurants. So I had a vision of uh, expanding uh, fish business, but I thought that there has to be one quality control, almost like a facility. Yeah, so Osakana was designed to be a fish retail and education centers for customers and for employees. 
it is because I wanted to make that as a uh, quality control and then the uh, commissary kitchen, which is very important when you do uh, fish business. And did you take on additional partners in order to open those up, or did it? Did you just um, use the success of Yuji to fuel those new businesses? So uh, the my business, I brought in a business partner for Osakana Project, which is uh, the fish supplier that I've been using, and also those people are the ones that I worked with my previous job for many years. So they really understand what I was looking for. And they are always supportive about my fish venture. So they are helping me as whole food side. And I'm here on the more the retail side to create new demands from customers so that fish distribution will slowly change. That's so cool. So it's, it's almost like you, you opened up a steakhouse and then you went backwards and you opened up a butcher shop with <laughs> your, your, old, yeah, right, right. <laughs> your old distribution channel um, in order to service the neighborhood. It's... It's sort of like an old school move because mm. there aren't really fish markets anymore where you can interact with the fishmonger and you see them face to face. Really, the the people, I think most people buy fish frozen now from a big box retailer, mm-hmm. right? They go to a whatever, a Key Foods mm-hmm. or a Whole Foods and they buy a little pack of cryovac fish. What type of fish do you serve there that is out of the norm that they could find at a traditional grocery? And is there somebody there that kind of is from your team, like the restaurant team that helps explain to them how to prepare it? What basically differentiates it from getting fish somewhere else? So it's more like uh, as part of your fish buying experience, you're getting a bit of a cooking lesson. So uh, it is normal that uh, sometimes a wholesaler operates restaurants uh, or uh, retail shop. But in our case, restaurants uh, restaurants uh, open uh, retail shop. So that our input to customers are more chef-driven so that we have more uh, suggestions and ideas to encourage consumers to buy unfamiliar ingredients uh, that are actually served at the restaurant so that it becomes more of a trust. So this is a bluefish that it's super local, but you can find in key food, but you can find in Osakana, and also you can eat at Okonomi. So a chef-driven fish market is what differentiates us from other traditional fish market. How did you end up opening up spots back in Japan? Did... Were you back there visiting your family and someone approached you? Did you really try to put that in motion and and pitch and pursue people in Japan? Also, something happened in Japan with the museum, and I would love for you to talk <laughs> about that as well. Yeah. So uh, start, uh, after two years of being in Okonomi, I started seeing Japanese tourists actually from Japan eating my restaurants. I thought that was a very interesting trend, and then uh, I wanted to... I never thought of serving uh, to Japanese customers in New York because, you know, I wanted to just uh, serve uh, to the customers here uh, locally. And then I'm not in East Village. I'm not in Midtown where there are a lot of Japanese people. But 
I started noticing more Japanese customers, and then I started interacting with the other、uh, with those Japanese people. And then one of the person that I talked to was very inspirational. She's a very、uh, well-known、uh, chef from Kyoto who had a restaurant in、uh, Tokyo. And then she encouraged me that、uh, this is a really great ramen that she wanted to bring to introduce to her customers in Kyoto, Tokyo. So I did a pop-up at her restaurant in Tokyo. And then I loved it. I closed the restaurant for one week and brought the entire staff to Tokyo and then presented Yuji Ramen uh, in uh, Tokyo. And then、uh, with, through that experience,、uh, there is a place called the、uh, Shin Yokohama Ramen Museum in、uh, uh, Yokohama, which is、uh, an hour west from uh, Tokyo. So they've been around for 25 years and then they've been.、Um, Uh, introducing new concepts of ramen from all over the world. And we were the、uh, 45th、uh, ramen shop to be invited to the、uh, museum. So when they came to approach to me and then said that they want to bring huge ramen to Japanese customers, I was very shocked. And was, at first, I was kind of skeptical, but、um, I just had no reason to refuse. Yeah. My staff were very excited when I shared this idea. And I was excited, but I couldn't do it by myself. So、uh, it was great, yeah. And so now you have two spots in Japan.、Mm-hmm. And it just seems daunting to anyone who works in a restaurant that they, when they open a second location, even if it's down the block, it seems like such a behemoth to try to wrap your head around.、Mm. You have, let's just call it, Six locations essentially now, right? And they're in two different countries.、Mm. How do you spend your time?、Uh, and then, second question would be how do you focus on maintaining quality at your locations, especially because you're dealing with such a temperamental product?、Mm. There's a lot of fish, and we talked a little bit about sushi and sashimi、mm. grade quality. So, how do you、uh, focus on all these businesses? That, that are in two different countries?、Mm, I question to myself every day. <laughs> It's extremely hard to do. And I didn't think of, I didn't like how I started. Like, I didn't think of what obstacle will come to me. I just thought that I wanted to do it. So I did it. And I had people that I could trust. So we've been running for about a year、uh, in Japan. And then the important thing is to trust employees, but also trust your、uh, vision. But at the same time,、um, I have to kind of like,、uh, I go back and forth every two months or so. But as far as the business,、uh, my business is concerned, it's not a good model, I realize. So I have to restructure a little bit so that. I don't have to manage it as much because there is a limit of how much you can handle by yourself. I think anyone, like,、uh, I don't think people can process so much more than one person can do. Maybe a little bit more, but not so much. So、uh, it's going to be very important going forward to create a good system there, where everybody has more. 
of responsibility. Yeah, I have to kind of let it. I planted the seed, so now I have to make sure that everybody waters themselves. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how yet. Actually, <laughs> sorry to be honest. <laughs> and obviously, it seems like you're figuring out what your current stage of expansion looks like and how it can work for you.、Mm-hmm. So this is maybe a crazy question for you to. To think about right now, but are you simultaneously thinking about additional expansion? Like, is it in the back of your head that okay, if I can figure out this stage, then I can probably open several more、uh, ramen shops? Or are you not really focusing on that right、uh, now? I think like I'll I've been doing this for about、uh, seven years, and then I think well, I I started this because I turned thirty, and I thought that.、Uh, My thirties, I'll do my best to try a lot of things, and then I wanted to use that whole experience to think of my new goal, my forties, which is coming in two years. So in my mind right now, which changed every day because things change daily around you, so that my thinking changes back and forth all the time. But it's not that I'm being wishy-washy or anything. It is because that the environment of your business change daily so quickly,、uh, so that、uh, it's becoming very hard for me to decide what I should be focusing on next stage. But I think it's in, it's gonna be important for me to sit back and a little bit and see what has worked, what I learned, and then what I should be doing next. Yeah. So right as of right now,、uh, I'm very happy with what I have accomplished, but. Uh, I'm not too crazy about increasing the volume of、uh, my current uh, business. Mm. As you look back on seven, eight years that you've been doing this now, what do you think is the hardest obstacle that you've had to overcome over all these years, multiple locations? Is there a singular moment when you thought that you were gonna maybe give up or that it wasn't gonna work? Mm, I st- I feel it every day actually still yeah. It is so hard for founder owner to separate your business as a business. You think that as as your baby, but it is a business. It's not your baby. It is very difficult for me to see my business、uh, from the third perspective still. But、uh, I think it's gonna be very important for my next stage to look at everything. In a completely different perspective, so that I can learn more about what I have done. So、uh, to sort of like detach myself from my babies, <laughs> as just name them as business.、Uh, otherwise, you know, if things don't go well, you can let it go, which is gonna be risky for the entire business. Yeah. So、uh, it's gonna be a.、Uh, but that's my 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 I should say headache. Yeah. For those who are trying to do business, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a headache every single day, every minute. Yeah,、mm. it sounds like you have so many moving pieces, and you're you're still figuring it out. And of course, during your expansion, you as you said, you're the founder, and they're they're your babies.、Mm. Do you have someone specific,、um, a mentor that's either a chef or a business person that you? Rely on,、mm. and and how did you connect with them, and what、mm. do they what do they offer you as you 
deal with all, all these spinning plates that are that are occurring. Mm-mm-mm. Like uh, my mentors are all over the place. I think uh, those are the people that inspire me in the past, and then the one that encouraged me to do businesses in Japan. You know, like all those much uh, sh- chef founder business owners who have. Uh, you know, like shut down their business. I think those who are actually, I think it's so hard to, it's much easier to open and start than shutting down. Like uh, to decide what you should stop doing is going to be very uh, important. And then uh, my mentors are the ones that have experienced it. For others, it might look like a failure, uh, fa- uh, failure but for those for those people, it's just the beginning of a new challenge. So uh, I try to uh, uh, try to always talk to the people who have inspired me in the past, and also trying to move on. Uh, try, uh, for also those who are trying to move up to next stage by like keeping up what they've accomplished in the past. I think that's such a uh, such a courageous thing to do, like to give up everything you built and start something new. I don't think I can do it at this moment, but I think I respect those people. Yuji, thanks so much for being here and sharing <laughs> uh, your story and uh, talking so much about uh, the businesses and how you got them open and all the obstacles and challenges that uh, you faced and that are still coming every single yeah. day. <laughs> uh, can you tell everyone where they can find um, Yuji Ramen and Okonomi and also the name of the website so that they can find all the businesses oh, yeah, that yeah. you have? Mm. So if you go to okonomibk.com, uh, Osakana BK, Okozushi, Lori Mercuro, Yuji Ramen, Tokyo, are all connected, so please go and uh, visit. Also, Okonomi uh, BK Instagram follows only those people, so you can kind of see <laughs> who are connected. Yeah. So there's a lot of places in Williamsburg and now in Manhattan and obviously in Japan as mm-hmm. well that you can go and taste Yuji's food. We appreciate you being here. Thanks for taking yeah, thank some time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, Everyone, thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Line here on Heritage Radio. You can join us Tuesdays at 11 a.m. for brand new episodes with chefs and restaurateurs talking about their story, their careers, and their businesses. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>